Welcome to the Alpha Course, uh, second night of the Alpha Course. How many of you guys here for the very first time didn't make it last week? All right, well, thank you for being here. It's great to have you here. Uh, <clears throat> just so you know, real quick, at the end of the evening, if you're taking the elevator or if you're going down the stairs, there'll be a little table set up, and, and that table will be holding uh, CDs from last week, uh, Keith Collins' talk, and then tonight, my talk. So if you want to just grab one of those or two of those, listen to them, give them away to friends, invite folks to come back to the Alpha course, uh, or come for the first time, we would love that. People come in and out of this course through the 10 weeks. We've had people come for the first time week 10. So don't ever feel like it's too late to invite somebody to the course if you'd like to do that. So tonight, uh, we're in session two, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? Uh, but first, let's talk about a much less uh, reputable and famous person in history, and, and that would be me. Uh, who am I? Um, well, my name's Frank Loria. I am not on staff at Lakeview Christian Center. I am um, one of the elders here, but I have been in the uh, uh, employment business for the last 40 years. I own a executive and professional search firm just on the other side of the, of the canal there. Uh, but I've had the opportunity of doing the Alpha course with, with Keith for, well, the last 18 years. This is our 35th Alpha since 2001. It was uh, one week after 9-11 was our very first Alpha course. And so i uh, been attending Lakeview since 1980 with my wife and our kids. And, uh, but I want to introduce you to my better three quarters on her very Worst day. So, Annette, will you stand up, sweetheart? Let everybody see how fortunate I am. That is my, that is my bride of 41 years. <clears throat> 41 years, one day. So, we just thought we'd invite you to our anniversary party. So, uh, so we've been married for just a day over 41 years. We. We have three grown kids that are married to three other grown kids um, who have given us 11 grandkids, uh, which is pretty incredible. Both Annette and I are, are uh, from New Orleans, grew up in New Orleans. Annette went to Dominican High School. I went to an all-boy military school called New Orleans Academy. Uh, I graduated in the top 18 of my class of 21. Um, <laughs> and I... You know, many of you know I chose not to pursue a college education, so I attended Louisiana State University. Um, so, but, um, but I, you know, having gone to a small school, I, I had to be a member of a fraternity, so I joined the original Animal House. I was a deke at LSU, so those who are familiar with uh, Delta Kappa Epsilon, um, you know what that's like. But that's where I met Annette, the very first time. Uh, I met her. I saw her at the deke house. She was swinging from a chandelier, and uh, and th that that's where she that's where she first caught my eye with her heel, and uh, and then my shoulder with her knee, and down we went. And she has been all over me ever since then. <laughs> Just. Just seeing what her body language is like now when I say that. But anyway, uh, for those of you who weren't at the Alpha uh, here last week when Keith told us a little bit about Alpha, the Alpha course actually started in a little church in London, England, in an Anglican church, and has since, over the 32 years, exploded to where over 30 million people from every denomination have attended the Alpha course. Um, and what is Alpha? It's just an opportunity for you to come, for us to come together and to think and to talk about things we don't typically talk about. I mean, sometimes maybe at funerals we'll talk about religion and God and things like that. Um, but let me tell you what Alpha is, is not. Alpha is not an attempt to indoctrinate anybody into the teachings of Lakeview Christian Center. Um, it's not an opportunity to get in your pocket. There's no offerings. There will never even be a hint of a desire for money. We want you to come and enjoy yourself, make friends, and, and hopefully learn some things along the way. This is not a membership drive. This is not an effort to try to get you to leave your church or your denomination. This is just us coming together and find out, finding out what more about what Christianity is. And that's what Alpha is. 
It's an introduction to the Christian faith. It's an introduction to find out what, what really is in the Bible. What is there? And, you know, if you grew up anything like me, you may have had an, maybe an incorrect or an incomplete understanding of, of the Bible. Um, I didn't know what a Bible was, quite honestly, until... Uh, and I'm growing up in the United States of America. I did not know what a Bible was till I was leaving the fraternity house and somebody handed a little green Bible and I didn't know what it was, but I just took it from him. And that was my first interaction with the Bible. Cause I, and I had no idea what the Bible clearly states. I had no idea about any of those things. So let me, let me just ask you a quick question. Just a little early participation, help you digest your food, um, just help you get a raised hand. How many of you, you would say that as just a course of your life, you, you, you read, you studied, or you even maybe even critically examined the Bible? Just, you just grew up reading the Bible. Let me just see your hands here. Well, that is more hands than I typically see. I typically see no more than 10, and I see about 20 hands raised up. So, but still, that's, about, that's maybe about 15% of the room here tonight. And so that makes me very excited because I've never seen somebody come to the Alpha Course that hasn't been excited that they have. I've heard so many people say, you know what, I learned more about the Bible in one week of the Alpha Course than I have my entire life. And I don't know whether to be glad about that or sad about that. Um, but but it's, it's, it's the fact. So my expectations are high. It's an opportunity for you and me to discuss in a very non-threatening way the importance and to have an informed faith position. What's your faith position? Now, if I were to ask you tonight, are you, are you a person of faith? Maybe you'd say to me, well, um, maybe, uh, not so much. But I just want us to understand this, that faith is not necessarily a religious term. We think of it in terms of religion, but you and I exercise, we exercise faith every day. Um, you know, we want to know what the weather is, right? Right. So what do we do? We turn on the television to watch the weather. We turn on the radio to listen to the radio. But, but, you know, we do that because these guys really have no idea what they're talking about so much of the time. I mean, we watch it in faith, right? You, you, they tell you that it's not going to rain, so you plan for this big picnic. Or you tell you, they tell you it's, you know, it's going to rain, and so you don't plan for the big pic- picnic, and everything just seems to go the other way. But I think, you know, I think there should be a law. I think meteorologists, as they call themselves, should only be able to get the forecast wrong just so many times. And then, and then I just think, just lock them up. You know, okay, just, just, you know, you know, you don't know where the rain cell is, but I'm going to show you where the jail cell is. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get you out of here. Um, it just, they just don't get you know, it. Just, and that happens all the time. Um, and you know, that, that's true about, you, you drove here tonight, didn't you? You drove here in faith. Did you know you were going to get here? You know, I, I looked in the, in the parking lot at some of your cars. Some of you, you exercise a lot of faith getting here tonight, just <laughs> looking at some of your cars. Um, but, I, and I, I see you guys have really been eating well. I mean, did you enjoy the dinner tonight? Well, good. And let me just, did, did, you, did you meet the chef? Did you meet the chef? Really? Did you, do you have any idea? I mean, you just gobbled it down. You know, you'd have no idea the kind of day he had. I mean, his restaurant flooded yesterday when they said it wasn't going to rain. Uh, he just got his property taxes raised. Uh, and the sewage and water board has given him another blowed up water, water bill as well. I mean, this guy's furious. And he made dinner for you guys tonight. But... So, you know, so what did you do? You ate in faith, didn't you? You just accepted that what was put before you was, wasn't poison. It was, it was edible. But what if, what if some of it was poison? What if he was so angry? So, but you ate it in faith. But now you've got to go see a doctor. So, are you going to go see this doctor? Is this the doctor you're going to see? Okay. <laughs> some of you have no idea who that is. And yeah, I think he's still alive. I think he's still alive. That's Morgus the Magnificent. Sid Noel. So you see, so we, we exercise faith all the time. You go to a doctor in faith. You don't know if you're getting off the table. You're not, how do you know the pills they're giving you 
are, you know, Mr. Campbell would know a little bit about that. How do you know the pills that you're getting are the right pills? We live life all the time in faith. How many of you like flying? Anybody like flying in here? Okay, some strange people here like flying. Um, in a plane, I'm assuming. Okay. Um, but I mean, have you heard about Air Chance? I love Air Chance. Their slogan, fly secure with our 85% safety record. You getting on that plane? I'm not getting on that plane. Okay. Or how about this? The extra... The extra opportunity that U.S. Airways gave somebody one night. I mean, they didn't, they didn't even advertise. They just surprised them that you're going to, not only are you going to get to fly from LaGuardia to Charlotte, we're going to stop over in the Hudson River on the wild air. I mean, this brings new meaning to the term flying on a wing and a prayer. I mean, this is, um, <laughs> but that's what happens. And you know what this is? is this should really upset us again. I mean, that plane was put down by a gaggle of undocumented Canadian geese. And it should really upset us about this. These illegal aliens just flying into our planes. So, but it's faith. Each of us has faith. Now, the question is this. Is, is the faith what you have? Good faith? Is it rational faith? Is it blind faith? Now, I think you would agree with me that the more evidence, the more evidence that there is for something, the more rational the faith position. I don't know if any of you ever sat on a jury. I've sat on a jury before. And what the judge does is the judge charges the jury to come to a, come to a conclusion. He doesn't say beyond a shadow of a doubt. The judge says, I want you to come to a conclusion beyond a reasonable doubt. You look at all the evidence, and though there may be some holes in the evidence, that's where the faith comes in. The evidence that you have seems to put together the puzzle that that person is either innocent or guilty. It's faith. The more evidence, the more rational the faith position. Now, let me ask you this question. I just asked you a question a minute ago. Let me ask you, how many of you believe that there's something... Just raise your hand if you're so bold. Raise your hand if you believe that there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever and you're hoping it's going to be good. Just, you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat. Just hold them up there for a minute. Okay, now I'm not sure I'm getting 100% here, but that's okay. You can, you can put them down now. Um, now, that's really interesting. That's fascinating. That, that I want to I share with you a scripture from... From King David, from the Psalms, this is from the Old Testament. This is what this is what King David has to say. He says, "Lord, well, I'm going to have to look at this. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be." Now, let me just instead of this being something King David wrote, let this just be something you wrote. Ah, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire life is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Now let me just give you an example of that real quick. I've asked my grandson Nathan to come and help me and my buddy Trey to come help me. If they would, you're leaving now. You're giving him a chair. What? Okay, Nate, come on. It's my grandson, my oldest grandson, Nathan Loria. So I, 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 I will, we interrupt this program for. Can you get it? Thank you. Call back up. All right. I want you to take that. Uh, I want you to take, let go, please. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. Go that way. Try not to get in Mr. Ferd's way, though. All right. Now, this is what I want to show you. Let's just say this is holding up high, Nate, so everybody can see it. That's physical life. And, and pull the belly out of it. Good job. All right. So this is physical life. This is the beginning of your life, and this is the end of your life. Now, you, we don't know where we are along the continuum Right? I mean, you don't know that you're going to make it out of here tonight. You don't know that. You believe you are. Right? But every one of us is somewhere along that continuum until our heart beats the last. And the other side of what happens on the last, on the other side of our last heartbeat is what happens. So we're somewhere in here. 
The question is this. If you, as, as, as you said, if you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever, how much time have you spent really thinking about that? Critically examining that? Looking for evidence one way or another about that? I mean, the fact of the matter, the fact of the matter is we spend more time critically trying to determine what we're going to study in school, what kind of car we're going to drive, what house we're going to live in, what clubs we're going to belong to. We spend so much, I mean, where we're going to vacation. I mean, for heaven's sake, we've got to vacation. Those two weeks are hugely important. And we will dive in like our lives dependent upon it as to trying to figure out what the best... And here's the thing. It goes like that, doesn't it? It, Look, I'm 62 years old. I don't know how that happened. I I just woke up one day and I was 62 years old. And I had a 14-year-old grandson. So, so here's the thing. This, if this is going to last forever, and this is going to last for but a short time, doesn't it make sense that we would want to know as much as we could about this side while we're on this side? And, and, and if what the Bible says is true, is God says this, if you get this right you'll understand this better and live with a whole lot less anxiety and a whole lot more peace in a world that is falling to pieces. And so, this is what I'm hoping that we'll accomplish over the how many ever weeks you're going to endure me, is that you will begin to think and we will think together. It's like, what is in the Bible? Is it believable? Is there a God? Can I believe him? Does he actually care for me? And while we are here in this little continuum that we've got, in the, let's just call this the dash. I would tell you that as I have come to know and believe that God is who he says he is and he cares for me, and I am aware of this, this has made life on the earth, even with all the questions there are, so much more peaceful, so much more, uh, so much more together in a world that sometimes is just falling apart. And so think about this. We're putting a lot of time here, but we're only here for a short time. And you and I have no idea when your heart is going to stop. And so as we're thinking about this together, let's really think about this. Okay? So thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Trey, very much. That was great. Thank you. So here's the question. What are, what are we living for? What are we living for? You got it? Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So, okay. So we're on page 12. Who is Jesus? Now, this question, it, might, it just seems like maybe a dumb question to Americans. Everybody knows who Jesus is, right? Well, I will tell you that though I was aware of a guy named Jesus... Um, going to church, that I was, I, I believed in a Jesus that really did not exist. Um, I created a fictitious character named Jesus, not to be found in the pages of the Bible at all. But when I was introduced to the, the Jesus Christ of history, not the Jesus Christ that I had created out of my assuming conveniency, uh, and I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, that was 43 years ago. He changed my life completely. Completely. Um, but you know, it was interesting because it was then that I actually started to study some of the evidences to learn if there actually was reason to consider rational faith in the person and the claims of Jesus Christ. Now on page 12 you'll see here it says that he existed. Look, there's not a critically thinking, unbiased historian who believes the Jesus Christ of the Bible was a fable. I mean, if so, you really have to throw away every other ancient person of history. You have to throw out Caesar and Plato and Socrates. 
If you're looking at the evidences that are there, there is more evidence to support the person of Jesus Christ than there is any other historical figure. So we have the biblical record, but we also have the extra-biblical record, and we have other historians, Josephus, Suetonius, Pliny the Elder. We have the disciples of Jesus who wrote outside the pages of the Bible. We have one example after another historical evidences that support this, this truth, this historical truth, that there was a man named Jesus who walked the earth at the turn of the millennium, the first millennium. So, Let's take a look here. Uh, Cornelius Tacitus, one of the great Roman historians, wrote the Annals of Rome. This is what Tacitus said. He said, Consequently, to get rid of the report that he had Rome burned, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite torture on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. So here is, here's Cornelius Tacitus, not a proponent of Christianity at all, who is writing and actually supporting the claims of the Bible. Jesus, during the time of Tiberius, Jesus put to death at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Now, a good question, I think a good question would be, well, how do we know that the Bible, the New Testament in particular, hasn't been changed over the years? How do, you, how do we know that what the Bible that many of you have in front of you now is, the, is, is valid? Is it that same thing that was written centuries ago? And that is a great question. We're going to talk much more about that in week five. But I want you to take, if you would, take your manual with, out, and if you don't have it out right now, and just, I think we're on... Um, what page are we on? Page 12. Thank you very much. I'm not sure that's... And just, you see a, you see a graph there of, of, of names of individuals. And I want us to take a look at that. That's on page 13, actually. So, But I want you to take a pen with you. If, take a pen and write down um, over the top of that textual criticism. See, textual criticism is a science that is used to determine the truth or the validity of ancient texts. And, and within textual criticism, there is a test, and I want you to write this down, called the bibliographical test. The bibliographical test, right? And there are three parts to the bibliographical test, right? Textual criticism has a bibliographical test, and there are three parts to it. And I want you to just write this down somewhere on your book. You can go to the next page if you want. There's some lines there on page 14. But So the first, the first test is the quantity of the manuscripts. How many manuscripts are there? So number one, quantity. How many manuscripts are still existing or extant, as the word is used sometimes? Okay, how many documents, how many copies do we have existing still? The second one is the quality. So first quantity, second quality of the manuscripts. Now the quality doesn't talk about necessarily what kind of shape they're in. The quality deals with consistency. Right, so quality equals consistency. If let's say you have 10 manuscripts that are existing still, you want to take... Uh, take manuscript 1 and 2 and 10 and 8 and 7 and all those, are they saying the same thing or are they contradicting one another? That'll determine the quality of the manuscript. And then third, the time span. So quantity, quality or consistency, third, time span. How much time has taken place between us having the original autograph when the original author wrote what he or she wrote, and the first manuscripts that we see. You understand that? So time span there. So I want us to, so let's just take a look at this, and I want us just to see here, uh, just three of them, for the sake of time, we just see how history speaks. Let's just look at three of these here. We'll look at uh, Herodotus, Thucydides, and Livy, or Livy, depending upon what you prefer. So Herodotus wrote the Greek Persian Wars. Now look at what it was written between 488 and 428 BC. The earliest copy we have is around 900. The time lapse between Herodotus writing this 
And the earliest copy is 1,300 years. And there's about eight copies in existence. Let's look at Thucydides now. Thucydides wrote between 460 and 400. Again, around 900 we have copies. Another 1,300 years. He wrote the, the Peloponnesian Wars, Athens versus Sparta. Again, we have eight copies. Let's look at Livy. He wrote the, uh, Roman history. He, 59 to 80, 59 BC, I'm sorry, to AD 17. Earliest copy, 900, about 900 years, and we have 20, 20 copies of those. Well, let's look here. We're not just look down to the New Testament. The New Testament's written between 40 and 100 AD. We have full manuscripts. Okay, about 130 is the early, earliest copy, full manuscripts at AD 350. Time lapse between 30 and 310 years. We have 5,000 Greek, 10,000 Latin, and 93 other languages, handwritten copies of the New Testament. Now, if we were just to remove the New Testament from being a quote-unquote religious book and just threw it into history with Caesar and Livy and Herodotus and Thucydides, there would be no question as to what manuscript would hold the greatest weight of authority. It would by far be the New Testament. This doesn't mean that the New Testament is God-breathed, but it means if we just look at this historically, the New Testament stands far and above beyond any other handwritten work of antiquity. I was fishing to find out which one is, is close. Well, this is the closest we've got. This is the closest we've got. Um, the author Homer. Now, you guys are f- familiar with Homer. <sighs> I'm sorry, that comes up every time. That Homer. Okay. Um, Homer wrote Iliad. You know, many of us had to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, or were supposed to. Got the cliff notes. Um, Iliad, which was on the Trojan War, was written about 900 BC. We have, early, we have copies around 400 BC, about 500 year lapse. We got about 643 copies of that. Now, the interesting thing about the New Testament, which I didn't tell you, is that when you take those 20-something thousand copies that we have of the New Testament, they are, there is an accuracy of 99.5%. The quality is exquisite. And the things where there's not an uh, an identical replica, we're looking at grammar, things such as that, that have nothing to do with the content of the, the document of the, the New Testament at all. So what's fascinating about the New Testament, what is really fascinating is that there were so many people that were, were still alive when the New Testament was being written. We have copies showing up when people are seeing this as copies, and, and that could be very dangerous if you've got eyewitnesses. F.F. Bruce, who was uh, a professor of New Testament criticism at the, at the University of Manchester, he wrote a textbook called uh, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? This is just a, a quick clip from, from uh, what he has to say. He says, one of the strong points in the original apostolic preaching is the confident appeal to the knowledge of the hearers. They not only said, we are witnesses of these things, but also as you yourselves know. So they're saying, we're eyewitnesses, but you yourselves know this as well. Had the tendency been to depart from the facts in any material respect, the possible pressure of hostile witnesses in the audience would have served as a further corrective. So they claimed to be eyewitnesses, that others were eyewitnesses, and they laid out the facts as they were. These aren't documents that show up thousands of years later, as some people would, or hundreds of years later, even thousands of years later, as some would say. These documents were being copied during the lifetime of those who had seen these things happen. They themselves were witnesses of this. I think that's fascinating, a historical evidence. Now let's just talk a little bit more. I'm going to turn to page 14. A little bit more about Jesus. I'm going to run through this because I just don't have time. Um, but what is, who is Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us he was fully human. And I'm just going to see. You can see he had a human body. He had human emotions. 
He had human experiences. And I would encourage you, just take, take that Bible that we've given you and just look through some of these scriptures. That will help you understand and see more about what the Bible says about Jesus. That he was fully human. But, but and here's the real question. Was he more than just a man? Was he more than just a great human? Was he more than just a religious teacher? Well, what did Jesus have to say about himself? What did he have to say about himself? And so, we'll, with that, look at page 15. I'm going to just take a few of these scriptures. Let me just show you. Now, John 6.35 says this. So, we're talking about, when we see John 6.35, John 6, the 6th chapter, the 35th verse. The, the, the Bible was not, originally, was not originally written with chapters and verses. But to make it able to be studied more, in the, in the centuries that have gone by, they began to add verses, chapters and verses, so we could easily, more easily find things. There's nothing about uh, the original writers. They wrote letters. They didn't write chapters and verses. So this is what John says about Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, I want you to take your manual and just have your pen handy here. What he's saying here, he's not saying that you're never going to have to eat food again. He's talking about a hungering and a thirsting that is on the inside of every man and every woman. And he's saying that he is the fulfillment. He is the filling of that. He quenches the internal thirst He satisfies the internal hunger. And so I just would like you to write that there. When he says he's the bread of life, what he's saying is he fills our emptiness. He fills our hopelessness. Let's look at this, another scripture here. John 8, 12. Jesus says, I am... The light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So he's saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me. How much fun do you have walking in darkness? Okay, it's the middle of the night. You got to get up. You got to go to the bathroom. It's pitch dark. All right. Hopefully you will make it to the bathroom unscathed. It doesn't always happen. Okay. But it's no fun to walk in the darkness. It's, it's tragic to walk in a life of darkness. And what Jesus is saying here, I am the light of the world. And what he wants, what we could all say is this, I want to be the light of your world. If you follow me, he's saying, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Okay, so you can just, just right here, he gives direction. Okay? He says he gives direction. You just write that out there. It gives direction. He gives purpose. And in darkness, we need protection. Direction, purpose, protection. That's what he claims. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. This is what Jesus says. Again, I hope you'll hear these scriptures. It's not just some far off writings, but I hope you'll hear them as I believe... If the scriptures are true, God meant them to be. For you and me to hear them for ourselves. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And then he says this, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened. And I will what? I will give you rest. Take take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For and you will find rest for your souls. I mean, do you, do you hear the, the intimacy of this? He's not saying, take on my teachings. My teachings are this. My commandments are that. My rules are what you should follow. He says, I am these things. I am the bread. I am the light. Come to me and I will give you rest. I mean, if you're drowning in the middle of the ocean... And a lifeguard comes up to you. And he says, here, read these rules and make sure you do everything that's in them so you won't drown. 
Well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to drown. Just because you know what to do not to drown doesn't mean you're not going to drown. What Jesus is saying is, I will come and I will rescue you. You need someone to rescue you, Frank. You don't need the rules because you can't even keep them and you're not even interested most of the time in keeping them. But that's what, isn't it? he's saying that come to me because I have come to you. He made the first step. So what does that mean here? So you can just write next to that. He gives peace. He gives belonging. He gives the ability to never be alone. I will give you rest. All right, last one I have time for here. Actually, I'm way over time already. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, the context is that Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus has died. Jesus has waited. He has died. And the sisters are really upset about this. And Jesus says to Martha, I believe, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall, ne- shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Okay, now, what is he saying here? Okay, now, think about our picture a minute ago. We had the dash, right? The little physical line, the little continuum of the line. Then we had the line, okay? Jesus is saying here, if I'm the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. I mean, he's he's talking about more than just 60, 70, 80 years on the planet, And he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So what he's saying is basically, I'm going to give you my life now while you're still breathing, while your heart's still beating. And the moment you put off your earth suit, so to speak, your, your flesh here, okay, you will continue to live. Life will go on outside of this decaying body. And the older we get, right, the more we know it's decaying. It is decaying. When I wake up in the morning, I feel my back. I feel my feet. Uh, It's decaying. But Jesus is saying in the middle of that, I'm giving you a life that's better than the life you got now. And you will never die. doesn't mean your body's not going to die, but you, who you are, your soul, your spirit will never die. And then he asks this question. Hear him ask you this question. Do you believe this? Not do you believe this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe, that's a big question. If, this, if, if he is who he says he is, I got to get that question right. Do you really believe this? So it's so fascinating that Jesus' teaching centered on himself. You know, if you take every other religious leader in the world, every other religious leader in the world, whether it's Muhammad or Krishna or Buddha, Confucius, any numbers of them, their teachings are based not on themselves. They give teachings. They give, they give paths of righteousness and enlightenment and rules and commandments. If you remove them from their teaching, their teaching stands. But if you take Christ out of Christianity, the whole thing comes down. Because he says, everything I'm telling you is based on me and what I say and what I will do. So, we can see here that he, what else? So we see that he's man, but he also sees that he claims to be God come in the flesh. And the, and the New Testament is fraught with this. Actually, if you even go into the Old Testament, you'll see prophecies concerning this. I'm just going to tell you one story about his indirect claim to be God. Jesus is in the town of Capernaum. He has come into a house, houses in first century Israel were not very large, and, but he's in this house and everyone has packed every square foot of this house. There is no room for another person to come in. Uh, so everyone you can imagine has come into this room, including the Jewish religious leaders who were not big fans of Jesus at all. They were threatened by him. They did not like him at all. But there were four guys that wanted to get their friend in front of Jesus so that 
he would be healed. That this friend just happened to be completely paralyzed. And so they must have reasoned together and came up with a plan to get their friend in front of Jesus. How they did this, I don't know. But there were steps. Many times houses in those days had steps on the outside. So they went up the stairs with their paralyzed friend. He couldn't do anything about it. So they're going up the stairs. And they begin to take the roof shingles apart. And I don't know if it was daytime or night. I don't know. But it was daytime. Suddenly a shaft of light comes through this house. Just sardine canned full of people. And suddenly, in front of Jesus, they must have known where, to look, where Jesus was standing, they lower this guy down in front of him. Obviously, everything stops. The, ma- the woman of the house must have really been, I'm sure, ladies, you'd have been real upset about right now. Um, and Jesus looks at him and he says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, suddenly these Jewish leaders were let in on their thinking. And the the Bible says, Mark says, they are thinking to themselves, who is this guy that forgives sin? Only God can forgive sin. Mark goes on to say, Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said said to him, what is easier for to me to say to this man, your sins are forgiven? Or rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know, so that you will know that the Son of Man, Jesus would call himself often the Son of Man, the Son of Man has power to forgive sin. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, the Bible tells us, that man sprung to his feet, rose, and they found room to get him through there. I can only imagine what his friends were doing on the outside. They must have been having a hoot nanny. But, but let me ask you this question. What would be easier for you to say if somebody wanted somebody to, you want, they wanted you to heal somebody for them? What would be easier for you to do? Say, um, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk? Sins are forgiven. <laughs> sure, because Trey said, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because who the heck knows? Right? Who knows? But if I say to a paralyzed person laying down here, take up your bed and walk, we're going to immediately know if this guy's got any credence to him. So that you will know that the Son of Man has authority, power to forgive sin. In other words, that I am God come in the flesh. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. And so Jesus proved the power that he had and who he was by the things in which he did. So he indirectly made claims to be God. He made direct claims to be God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip over that right now. And you guys may want to, at your tables, look at eight, John eight fifty six through 58, where Jesus talks about being there before Abraham, before Abraham was, he was, and how that ties into the story of Moses. Well, let me just cut to the chase here. Jesus, he either, he either was or he wasn't who he said he was. C.S. Lewis was an, uh, a British atheist. He was a professor of ancient English literature at Oxford. And um, he became a, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And he came up with this. And basically what this is a little decision tree analysis where he said, as he thought this through, he said, this really is not that difficult in terms of determining who Jesus is. So, Jesus claimed to be God. Well, he either wasn't or he was. That's, he either wasn't or he was. Well, if he wasn't, he either knew it or he didn't know it. He either thought he was and he wasn't. He either thought he was and he wasn't, or he knew he wasn't, and he continued to deceive. So let's say, let's say he knew it. He knew he wasn't God. He was a liar. It's as simple as that. I mean, here's the guy that talks about truth. Everything he's talking about is the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, he was a liar. Not only was he a liar, he was a hypocrite. 
Because he's talking about truth and he's, and he's lying in the midst of talking about truth. So he's a great hypocrite. Not only that, he's a demon. Because he's telling people that this is the way you get to know God. This is how you have peace with God. This is how you can have life in the dash and life in the line. This is how you can experience God. And you really couldn't. Because he was a liar and a hypocrite and a demon. And on top of all that, really, he was a fool. An absolute fool because he died full well knowing that what he said was not true. He was the greatest hoaxer in the history of the world. Because countless billions have put their faith in him. Was he a liar? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe he just was a lunatic. He just thought he was and he wasn't. This is kind of difficult to believe because this man stood in front of kings, religious leaders. I mean, he spent three years with his disciples and they worshipped him eventually as God. I mean, you couldn't spend three minutes with me and think I was anything more than a loser at best. See, so, so the thought of him being a lunatic just doesn't jive with anything. He was sincerely deluded. I... If you look on your, um, in your manual again, uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote in here which basically lines up with this on page 16. This is his book, and I would, I would recommend this book to you, um, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. It is a, a tremendous treatise of his pursuit, his coming to Christ and trusting Christ, leaving atheism becoming a follower of Jesus. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be insane or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else insane or something worse. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. So if he wasn't a liar, he wasn't a lunatic, is it true that he was Lord? He actually was who he says he was. He actually is what the scripture portrays him as. And if that is true, that, leads, that leaves you and me with, with a, a decision, really. It leaves you and me with a decision that we either accept that in faith or we reject that in faith and I'm not asking you to do either one just saying this is basically just rational thinking he either was or he wasn't the question is do I know do we know who he is what is there other evidence to support what he said I mean we have his teachings we have miracles we have his, his very character. We have hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. There are, but, and these are all great pieces of evidence. But, but, Christianity rises and falls upon one piece of historical evidence. One piece of historical evidence. Did he come out of the tomb alive on that first Easter morning. Did he rise from the dead on that first day of the week? If not, Christianity is a farce. It is not to be believed. It is to be shunned and run from. Some nice teachings. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But there's some stuff in there that we should reject because this man is not who he claimed to be and who his disciples say he is. The Apostle Paul, who was a former persecutor of the church, he was Saul of Tarsus, was named Paul when he became a follower of Jesus. He, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And this is what, this is what he wrote. He wrote this to the Corinthian church. He says, For I delivered to you, Corinthian believers, those of you who believe in Jesus, I've, I've delivered this to you of first importance. Okay, it, Paul's making sure that not, this is not just important. This is of first importance.
first importance, what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or some have have died. And then Paul goes on to write this. Fascinating. Look at this. This is really good. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, when in fact he did not. Paul took this very seriously. Paul bet his whole life on the fact that this man was raised from the dead. That, the, that Jesus Christ was God incarnate. And he left his place of being the chief, one of the chief persecutors of the church of Jesus. To becoming the man who became a follower of Jesus. Wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And was martyred because of his faith in Christ. At your table tonight, your, your table hosts are going to have this, this article. It's a fascinating article on the physical death of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an article written by several medical doctors on what takes place at crucifixion. It is phenomenal. It is gory. It is gross. And what it tells us is what took place at the crucifixion of Jesus and how impossible it was for anyone to survive Roman crucifixion. It was too bloody for anyone to survive that. You know, many have even tried to explain away the the resurrection, uh, but they have failed doing it. Um, And there are many, many things. Some have said that, again, Jesus didn't really die. He just swooned. Again, when you see the evidences of what took place to an individual during crucifixion, you understand. And they're thinking that maybe Jesus, when he was buried in the tomb, the fresh air, he was able to unwrap himself from, uh, from the garments, from the, de- the death garments, from the grave garments. He was able to push that 2,000-pound stone out of the way, overcome every Roman guard, and then appear to his disciples as the resurrected Christ. With a hole in his side, holes in his hands, holes in his feet... Holes in his head, beaten to a pulp, his back basically looking like streamers of flesh from what they did to him. Ah, don't think so. Maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. They went early in the morning, it was dark, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Some people believe that, they will argue that point. Well, if they went to the wrong tomb, as far as they start celebrating that Jesus is alive, guess what happens? You bring them to the right tomb. This is, this is, I mean, again, I went to LSU, but I still, even I understand this. That's right. So, maybe uh, the disciples stole the body. Maybe the disciples stole the body. That uh, they snuck in and they were going to make something out of this. And they, well, that doesn't make any sense either. Because nobody is going to die for a lie knowing that it's a lie. A lot of people die for a lie thinking it's the truth. But they would have perpetrated this lie. And they're going to die for it. And every one of these men with the exception of one that I'm aware of, died a martyr's death, a horrific death. Not much chance of that. These are the ones that ran from Jesus when he was taken into custody. Maybe the Jewish official stole the body. That's what you do. let's, Let's make sure we hold on to this body so they can't. Well, again, if they hold on to the body so the disciples can't get it, what are you going to do the moment that the... The disciples start having a party that Jesus is resurrected. You just show them the body. And how do you explain the dramatic transformation of these disciples? Incredible dramatic transformation of these men that went from running from Jesus and his captors to running into harm's way and going into all the world to as many people as possible could hear that God has loved us and given us his son so that we could have life in the dash and life forever in the line. 
there's so many authors here. I'll just show you this one. There are so many. But this is a, a, a book by Frank Morrison called Who Moved the Stone? Frank Morrison was a British journalist who set out to totally debunk Christianity. Well, he, he ran into a problem. And um, this, I, I love this here. This is, can you read that with me? Uh, you can't see that? I, I can't either. Um, the book that refused to be written. See, this man set out to write a book to refute Christianity. He ended up writing a book. His life totally transformed because he realized the more evidence he was able to bring together, the more sense this made. And the more he saw the evidence, the more God did, God did something where as his mind opened, his heart opened. And he saw his need was greater than anything, anything on this world could give him. And there are so many others. Tonight we have a book for some of you guys, if you'd like it, called More Than a Carpenter. Josh McDowell was another man who was, who was challenged to refute Christianity. And he did try. And he failed miserably. And he's written thousands of pages, spoken to millions of people all over the world. But here's the question. If Jesus is God... If Jesus is God, is the one that he is asking, this is the question that he is asking to each and every one of us. Here's the question. And we find this really in his question to his disciples. This is what he says. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this question. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? See, this is much more than an ethereal question. This question's purpose is to pierce, not just the disciples, but to pierce us to our hearts. And so, just let that question run through the canyons of time directly into our hearing tonight. Who do you say that he is? Who do you believe that he is? What is your confession of him. See, the Bible speaks to us this way as it pertains to the person of Jesus, who is Jesus. And I, again, would argue that if the Bible is true, if we do not correctly know who Jesus is, we will never really correctly know who we are and who he's made us to be. That's just that big a question. So what are the ramifications for you and me if Jesus did not stay in the tomb and was resurrected? What does the person of Jesus Christ really have to do with me? Is is Jesus really relevant? What does this have to do with me? Well, if what the Bible says is true, it has everything to do with every one of us. Individually. Maybe I've possibly not critically examined who Jesus is closely enough or maybe I haven't examined at all because I thought I had the world by the string and I really don't now next week and I, may I ask you just come back next week if you don't come back again after that just come back next week alright just one more week just come back next week because um, you're not going to want to miss this I mean next week we're going to talk about who or rather why did Jesus die now this surprised me I thought I knew why Jesus died But I really did not know why Jesus died. So, look, even if you don't believe this a lick, that's great, that's fine. But at least you're going to be learning more and more about what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. So I just want to encourage you with that. We are so grateful that you are here, no matter what, where you're coming from. And whether you believe this or not believe this, we are just so grateful to have you here. And we're looking forward to just having some time at the table with you here, but before before we take a quick break, um, I just want to teach you just some table etiquette here tonight. Just some table etiquette. Um, 
only one person speaking at a time. It's going to get really loud in here. So if we can only have one person at the table speaking at a time, that would be really great. Um, if you're having a hard time hearing, assume the alpha position. Okay, so this is the alpha position. Now, if you don't, would you just go ahead and do this just for a minute? Just put, come on, come on. Come on. Is this much really to ask? I mean, okay, well, just hold it, hold it there just for a minute. No, 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 really. Oh, shh, yeah, okay. I was slow. Okay, so, but really, it's amazing. I can even hear myself speak right now. This is, this really works. So, um, third, um, no question is a dumb question. I really don't believe that. I've heard lots of dumb questions, but... <laughs> But if you're, you know, if you're thinking about that, probably somebody else is thinking of that, that too. Just feel free to do that. Um, uh, you don't have to talk. You really don't have to. Don't feel pressured to talk in any way. Okay? If you just want to sit around and listen until you feel more comfortable with everybody, that's fine. Um, but I did see this article on Yahoo News that, that may help you. It says, um, happy people talk more and with more substance. So if you don't have anything to say, we're just going to assume you are miserable and really shallow. So... <laughs> So anyway, we really, let's take a quick five-minute break. Really hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for coming. Feel free to bring somebody else with you. Thank you.